So for about five weeks, we have been in this teaching series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, because we live in a super fast-paced life, and the goal of this series is to get us to pull back on the reins and slow down. There's a book by the same title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, by John Mark Comer, and we have just been... uh, really borrowing a lot of his ideas, biblical, deeply biblical ideas about these practices that we can put into place to help us slow down. And throughout this whole series, I keep having this movie scene play over and over in my head, and maybe you remember it. Um, Do you remember the movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, okay? This is not our Christmas movie series, it's just me talking about a movie. But The Grinch Stole Christmas, and this is the one from, was it the, the, the 60s, maybe the late 50s, and this is the animated version, okay? And there's this scene, the whole idea of The Grinch is that he hates the who's down in Whoville, He specifically hates them because of the way that they celebrate Christmas so in such a crazy manner. They're just a go, 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 hurry, 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 shop, 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 sing, 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 and it drives him crazy. He's about to snap, okay? There's this moment where he's standing on the top of the mountain in his little creepy cave, and he's looking down, and he's talking about the who's down in Whoville, and I love this line and the way he delivers it. He says this, and then all the noise, all the noise, 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 noise. They'll bang their tongue tinglers and blow their flu flounders. They'll crash their jang jinglers and bounce their boing bounders. Then who's young and old will sit down to a feast and they'll feast and they'll feast and they'll feast, 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 feast. They'll eat their who pudding. They'll eat their who, their rare roast beast. Something I cannot stand in the least. All the noise, noise, noise. That's the, because noise, 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 noise is kind of a synonym for the hurry that we live in. And it's that whole place where the Grinch is about to lose his stinking mind that I want us to settle into this morning. How do we deal with the noise? We're a lot like the Who's down in Whoville. We live a go, 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 go pace of life, full of noise, 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 noise. And in his book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Coomer, he points out the fact that Jesus, he lived an unhurried life. And by doing so, he was able to love more deeply and to be more present, which is something we struggle to achieve. And so our goal in this teaching series has been to examine the rhythms and the routines of Jesus' life, uh, what we're calling the practices of Jesus, just four of them. There are more than four, but we're looking at four of them. Uh, I'm thankful to John Mark Comer and his book because he came up in a clever way with four words that start with the letter S, so that they're more memorable. So today's lesson is brought to you by the letter S, like Sesame Street. Um, the three practices that we've looked at so far, you might remember, are Sabbath, simplicity and slowing and if you miss those I highly recommend that you go check them out on our podcast we also archive all of our video uh, sermons on YouTube youtube.com slash join the venture and so check that out and, and, and catch up if you haven't all of these things uh, Sabbath simplicity and slowing these are major ways to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in our lives today we're going to look at the fourth and final practice of our series there will be a wrap-up lesson next week our, my goal was to take this slow so we had like an intro lesson four, yeah, like that, and four practices, and then one more uh, to just wrap it all up, because we got to take time in this thing. The fourth and final practice is what we do with the noise, 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 noise. The final practice is the practice of silence and solitude. Everybody take a deep breath. When is the last time 
you just sat in silence. We are quick to plug the silence with noise. There's always a new set of headphones to buy. There's always a new podcast to listen to. There's always a new TV show to binge watch. But the noise that we fill our lives with gets in the way with how we interact with God and the world around us. There's a book by a guy named Richard Foster. Richard Foster is probably one of the, the most well-respected Christian thinkers of, of our recent era when it comes to our spiritual disciplines. And he's got a book called Celebration of Discipline. Uh, I've talked about it many times. I recommend that if you don't have a copy of Celebration of Discipline, you check it out, you read through it a little piece at a time over the rest of your life. And there's a chapter on silence and solitude that is, it's worth the price of the book, okay, if you get it. I read it like three times this week, just that chapter. It's really good stuff, and so I'm going to be borrowing a lot of ideas from that chapter as well. But uh, Richard Foster and, and, and the idea of silence and solitude come together in a big way, and he says that it does a lot to restore our soul and our relationship with God. And so let's just define the terms a little bit, silence and solitude. Let's start with solitude. When you think about solitude, maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is like a a creepy old hermit that lives in a cave somewhere. He's out in solitude. Or maybe you picture like Tom Hanks on an island with a volleyball. <laughs> you know, remember that movie? And it's solitude. And yes, you're right. That is true. Sometimes solitude is about being somewhere isolated. You got to be somewhere else. But Richard Foster says in his book, he says, solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. He said, if we possess inward solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. In the midst of noise and confusion, we are settled into a deep inner silence, whether alone or among people. This is gold, listen. We always carry with us a portable sanctuary of the heart. Solitude is the ability to pull away from the world around you and find some inner Peace. I love that phrase, an, inter, an inner sanctuary of the heart, a portable sanctuary of the heart. I mean, it's nice to get to a quiet place in the woods. That's a really good thing. It's nice to find that peaceful spot on the beach. Some people have a special chair in their house or a room that they can go in and shut the door, and that's great. But when we can achieve the idea of solitude with God, we can actually do it in any setting because it's a portable sanctuary of the heart that we can take with us, and this is something that we can build in our life. So Richard Foster also contrasts solitude with what I'm gonna call like solitude's evil twin brother. Loneliness. When you hear solitude, you might also hear loneliness. Solitude and loneliness are not the same thing, at least in this understanding. Let me give you some definitions to explain why. This is what loneliness is. Loneliness is sadness. It's sadness that, that comes to people who feel like they have nobody else to share life with. That's, you with me? That's loneliness. It's sadness. It's unhealthy. It's a real problem in our world today. And and it's something that we need to do what we can to, to get rid of and help other people in when they're living in loneliness. That's loneliness. Solitude, on the other hand, is peace. Solitude is peace that comes to people who know that their happiness doesn't have to come from other people. You see the difference? Loneliness versus solitude. So that's solitude. Solitude is achieved by turning off the noise to be enriched by something deeper and, and more lasting. And so that's why silence and, silence and solitude go hand in hand. 
This morning, uh, we're going to get into the Bible, and we always dive into the Bible every week at our church. We love to look to God's Word for His most important lessons for us, but instead of unpacking like one big text like I normally enjoy doing, or maybe two, we're actually going to be looking at a bunch of different texts. So get your Bibles out. That's great. You might want to follow along, but you might, you might get better use out of uh, taking notes, okay? Type it in your phone, write it down, because I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, and this might be some good stuff for you to read through later this week, um, because as we look through the life of Jesus, what we see is that He is... Over and over and over, he is seeking solitude. This is a regular practice of Jesus. This is a guy who's very, very busy. His time is very, very much demanded by other people. Yet he also has some sort of ability to remain calm and walk slowly and be among people and be present in their lives. How does he do that? I believe one of the recharging elements of Jesus' life is this time he spent in solitude. For example, here's a reference for you. Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. Now this is a time when Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. Talk about solitude. All alone. He also uses the practice of fasting along with solitude while he's out there. And we find out that he's there to be actually tempted by the devil. And so there's a big, big story happening there. But do you know why he does this for 40 days? This is after his baptism and as he inaugurates his earthly ministry. This is a huge transitional moment in all of the cosmos. And before he goes into that big ministry, he recharges by going out in a time of solitude. There's another time we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. He takes time away in the hills before he appoints the 12. Major pivotal moment in his ministry. The 12 apostles become really the pillars of the early church. Before he makes this huge decision and talks to them, he gets away for some time of solitude with God. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. So in Matthew 14, 13, he gets the terrible news that his mentor and his friend and his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been executed. What do you do when you get this terrible grief-ridden news that someone you love dearly is, is, is dead? Well, what Jesus does, it says that he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place. I think it's interesting the word lonely is used there. I don't want to read too much into it, but there, was, there is sadness in that. But he goes and finds recharging in a time of solitude with God. Uh, then, but on the upside, okay, so this is a sad moment, but just a couple of verses later in Matthew 14, 23, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people through a, a miraculous thing he did. He multiplies the loaves and the fish. It's a huge, huge story. After all that, you know what he does? He went up to the hills by himself. Solitude. So in these pivotal moments in Jesus' life, solitude is something he uses over and over again. And Mark chapter 1, verse 35 is another one. Uh, Mark 1, 35 is probably the most famous of the solitude stories that we see with Jesus. And and I want to read it to you. It says, he's got a really busy, crazy week this week. So this is Mark 1, 35. It says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house He went to a solitary place where he prayed. And if you read the context of this story, he's about to have one of the busiest few days in a row of his whole ministry. This passage is one many people have used just as an outline. How do I get devotional time with God? Well, how about very very early in the morning while it's still dark, you get up, you go to a solitary place, and you pray. And so that's something that people have used for that. So this discipline of solitude over, and I've skipped several Over and over and over, we see Jesus using this as a time of recharging, as a time of refocus, as a time of engaging with the Father, as he carries with him his his own portable sanctuary of the heart. And then he teaches his disciples to do the same thing. We see this in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. They've just returned from a big preaching mission where they've done a lot of healing and a lot of traveling, and this is what he says. He says, 
come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. <laughs> and he shows them, like, this is, this is the first men's retreat, I think, ever. He's like, let's go have a men's retreat. So they get away, and they spend some time in solitude reflecting over what they need to do. Or you see it again when he sees, this is in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 17, he takes Peter and James and John, and if you know the story of the, the, the transfiguration, that's a huge, huge concept. If you don't know the story, it's fine. Read uh, Matthew 17, it's a really cool moment with God. But this is a very pivotal moment in his ministry where he kind of reveals himself in a new way to this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and how do they do it? They go up onto an isolated place where they commune with God and they spend some time in solitude. And then as Jesus settles his heart and his body and his mind for the biggest mission of his life, we see him in Matthew chapter 26, go to the garden at Gethsemane, the night before he's crucified. He spends the whole night in prayer. So this practice of solitude, and you think about how often we just are constantly trying to fill every second of our life with entertainment and something else. It's something we see Jesus doing all the time. Now, I, I want to bring this up because this comes up several times in the writings about silence and solitude that, you know, spiritual Christian masters have written about, is that there seems to be this cycle when it comes to solitude. And so there's a healthy cycle of solitude. You can find yourself pretty lonely just going and living in a cave all by yourself. And we all the time here are talking about the opposite of that, aren't we? Community is the opposite of solitude. And so here's kind of a two-part cycle that we see Jesus doing. First is a, a time of community with fellowship. You spend time with people. You spend time interacting and loving and laughing and playing and eating and hanging out. Community is vital. It's important. But Jesus always follows these, these very busy times with a period of withdrawing for solitude and worship where he connects with God and he recharges. And so if you want a really good picture of what solitude looks like, it's actually in tandem, in unison, in cycle with fellowship, with community, with being with people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, a very famous German theologian. He once said this about this whole idea of the cycle. He said, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. And so there's this healthy balance of solitude and community. But plenty of times, plenty of biblical examples and plenty of moments in Jesus' life, we see him do both. So first, that's, that's kind of a breakdown of, of solitude. Now, where does silence come in? Okay, so as I've thought through this a lot over the last few weeks, solitude is impossible without silence. Without silence, there is no solitude. You can't, you can't have just one. Without Silence, it's impossible to have solitude. John Mark Comer expands on this a little bit. He, he talks about the noise, 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 noise that I talked about in the world. He says basically there's two categories of noise in the world. First is external, second is internal. And that might be fairly intuitive, but let's just talk through them for a second. So first there's the external noise, okay? And, and, and um, we've talked about like, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the propaganda of, of advertising. There's always a message being pumped into your brain. That's noise, 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 noise. Or maybe it's just the endless media that we consume, right? Headphones in, eyes on a screen, noise, 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 noise. Or then there's just like some generic noise. That's just the buzzing noise of the world, you know, traffic, crowds, 
talking, construction, hammers. In my neighborhood, it's chainsaws a lot. And so it's like noise, 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 noise. Okay, I'm, I'm rereading this book called The Screwtape Letters by a guy named C.S. Lewis. Maybe you heard of him, pretty famous dude. And in Screwtape Letters, it's, it's a pretty profound work. And it's, there's a main character, and he, he is um, like the head demon. And his job is to teach young demons how to lead people away from God. What a premise, okay? So that's kind of the point of the book. And as he is instructing a younger demon, he says this about their kingdom. He says, our kingdom is a kingdom of noise. We will make the whole universe noise in the end. C.S. Lewis was onto something. The concept that noise can distract us from a relationship with God is huge. And so that's external noise, okay? Turning off external noise is pretty straightforward. If it's got a button or a switch, with an on and off position, put it in the off position. Okay, you can turn off noise on a lot of things. And then there's some of the external noise that you, you can't turn off, the, the traffic noise, the noise of crowds. But we can get away from that, right? We can go into a room in our house and shut the door. Uh, we can go find some place in nature where it's more quiet. We're fortunate to live near the beach, you know, even, even on a busy beach, it can be fairly quiet there because of the ocean and just kind of the wind and stuff like that. So turning off external noise is pretty straightforward, but it's the internal noise that really bothers us. Internal noise is hard. In fact, internal noise is the reason that we often avoid silence and solitude. We don't wanna deal with what's going on up in here. You follow me? Uh, this is the looping conversation in your head that you just keep, have been going through with somebody or something and you just can't stop thinking and you lay in bed at night and you're thinking about it or it's the, it's the memories of a mistake that you made and you just keep living in that failure over and over and it's, it's in there and if you, and you get quiet too long, you remember it and you, and you start to see yourself in a certain light or, or maybe it's good things, maybe it's the dreams about something you one day hope to be or have or do, right? And we play those things, I'm a planner and so I lay in bed so often at night and I can't stop the planning for tomorrow. It's just constantly going, I got this meeting, I got I got this thing, I got this vision, I got this dream, I got this what I'm gonna do, and it goes, goes, goes. Or then, there, then there's negative things, there's the things that we worry about, and the anxiety and the stress, and those things play. Uh, anybody else, is it just me? That's the internal noise, and it's hard to make that shut up because there's not an off switch for that, is there? Uh, not a healthy one. There's a book I was reading this past week, it might have, it might have been in the, um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I can't remember, but the writer said that we become mental hoarders and we fill our minds with clutter. And that's the noise. And that's why it's so hard to turn it off. So, so turning off the external noise is, is pretty straightforward, but turning off the internal noise is it's more difficult. A lot of people fill every minute of their day with noise. And I'm talking about like actual noise, you know, like sound waves, but also there's distraction that we can call that noise too, right? You know what I mean? Busy work and multitasking and all these things we try to do. We do that uh, because we don't know how to deal with the inner noise. <laughs> we don't know, and we're terrified. We're terrified, like we're afraid that if I have a silence and solitude, at best it will be annoying because I won't be able to focus. At worst it'll be terrifying because I've got to deal with something. So yes, without silence, there is no solitude because we can never truly be alone and nurtured by the experience of the being in the presence of God and seeking him. And this is hard. Look, this is, this, is, this is hard stuff. I get it. But we can get there. There is a consequence of never turning off the noise. 
never getting into silence and solitude. I want to paint a picture of, for you of what that looks like, and you, you probably know it all too well. I know I do. If we will not find the practice of silence and solitude in our life, one thing is that we will constantly, we're constantly uh, be living off of someone else's spiritual life. Let me give you an example. Have you ever felt kind of spiritually empty and you just, you, you desperately wish you could find a good spiritual devotional book? You desperately just hope to find another podcast that you could help get you over a hump. You desperately hope, like, man, I hope Chris preaches a good one today because, man, I'm low today. You desperately want to go to some event where you can get on a mountaintop. Maybe you've been there before, right? And, and if we can't learn to discover and live in that private, you know, uh, sanctuary of the heart, the portable sanctuary of the heart, um, we're going to have to rely on other people's spiritual growth. And, and you can get pretty far on that, by the way. I've, I've done it, right? And you probably have too. But you're constantly at mercy of the internal noise if it's not there for you. Here's another thing. If we don't take time to regularly, regularly have solitude with God, we find it hard to know our purpose or to feel a calling in our life. We don't know what to do. Just like aimlessly, man, I don't know. Because we're not, we don't have anybody guiding us. There's, there's no real pull for us to do anything in particular. And so maybe you feel a little bit aimless. And my guess is you would really benefit of some silence and solitude with God. When we don't take time to regularly have that time for soul nurturing and silence and solitude, many people find that there is constantly a low-level bubbling anxiety. We are in the most anxious society in the history of man, and I think it's because we don't know how to turn off the noise. Medication and therapy is great, but it will not solve the problem of the noise until we can learn to be with the one true voice that can guide us. If we can't find that inner peace and that solitude and silence, we will resort to just drowning it out. Putting earphones in my ear, watching another show, going to another club, another party, another bar, drinking more alcohol so I don't have to think about it. That's how we cope. We become easy targets for the easy, evil one when we're in that state and we become emotionally unstable. Uh, the littlest thing will set us off or we're just riding a wave of emotions. Am I talking to anybody this morning? I have been there. So that's the picture. That's why silence and solitude is valuable, but it is a, there's a better way. Okay, so let's look at the flip side of that coin. What does it look like when we do have silence and solitude? When we can learn to be comfortable in silence, when we can learn to be comfortable and set aside moments where we can get into time just with us and God and breathe. I've said this many times, I want you to just remember this. Silence can be like a massage for your soul. If you've ever experienced the joy of a deep breath, it's just, that's, just a, that's the tip of the iceberg. If we can find time to get away, just a few minutes in the car with the music off before you go to work, or a regular walk down a quiet trail, we'll find that we'll get better at it. We don't rush through those times. Even if you only have 10 minutes between things, you can settle into that place and be present in that place and some nurturing and some changing begins to happen in you. That's the slowing that we talked about last week in last week's message. Here's something that happens. This is maybe the biggest thing that happens. We learn to feel deeply. And I'm gonna warn you if you're gonna try this this week. Uh, doc, uh, Dr. Foster calls this, uh, Richard Foster calls this um, the dark night of the soul, okay? It's actually kind of a, a warning label on silence and solitude. It's the dark night of the soul. If you will let yourself sit quietly and deal with the noise, you will experience some emotion 
and you'll get a chance to deal with it. The stuff you've just been shoving down, you can manage it. You can start to deal with it. And you're going to find that like, yeah, there's going to be, you might just cry. You might be aware of a grief that you were not aware of or that you were aware of, but you didn't want to think about. And he calls it the dark night of the soul. Um, And I can say so much more. Reading that part of the book for some of you might be worth, you know, the entire cost of the book. Actually, if you look the title up and just PDF Google, people have posted it on PDF. I don't want to like rob money from their account, so eventually like buy the book. But if you read that chapter, go find it. It's, It's worth looking up and finding. God created our emotions, the positive ones and the hard ones. He created them so we can process life. But we are the best at just ignoring them, sweeping them under a rug, locking them in a closet, shoving them down so deep that we don't have to deal with them. That's how therapists stay in business. Their whole deal is, and I'm a big fan of therapists. I've spent a lot of time with therapists. Their job is to be like, hey, let's talk about that. Let's deal with that. God gave us these emotions and they're healthy to help us process. And so maybe you have some mourning and some pain and some uh, sadness that you need to deal with and that you need to manage. But on the other side of that, it's like when a storm comes through, we've been here during hurricanes, what's on the other side of the storm? (sighs) Clear skies, freedom, peace. There it is, silence. Uh, I can't say that I've heard God's audible voice in my times of silence where he was like, hey Chris, listen, on Wednesday at 2.30 p.m., I'm gonna need you to hop in the car and drive south by southwest for 15 minutes and you're gonna find someone who's in need. Like, I don't get those types of instructions from God. If you do, sweet. Um, But instead what I tend to find is, I find there's clarity, there's peace, and the best word I could think of was perspective. God helps me see perspective in those moments as his spirit nurtures me and deals with my mess. The noise of the world is still out there. It's there, clanging along. And the internal noise is still gonna be there because you're alive still. But what you're gonna find is that you can make it and that you're not alone. Jesus is talking, uh, we will actually open the Bible this morning to one place. If you got your Bible, open to John chapter 15. And um, this is a passage where Jesus is gonna be talking about his Holy Spirit and how it comes to nurture us. And there's so, so, many, so many different things that Jesus talks about in John 15. But in John 15 chapter four, we're gonna read uh, verses four and five to start with and then we'll come up a few verses later in just a second. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So that word remain is translated from a Greek word, uh, maybe, it's a Greek word. We don't speak Greek. But in English, it can be translated a couple different ways. And one way that I love this translation is the word abide. You could say that Jesus is saying, abide in me, abide in me. And the idea of abide is that we would stay in the same place for a while. We're talking about hurry, right, in this whole series. And the problem with hurry is that we never sit still. We lose our attention and we're everywhere. We're spiritual ADD and it's going crazy. And Jesus says, remain in me, abide in me, stick around for a while, get to know me, spend time with me, get in step with me, remain in me. And then he gets to verse five where he says, because I am the vine, 
You are the branches. And so if you remain in me, if you abide with me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That's a promise from Jesus himself. Spend time with me. And your life will begin to produce fruit consistent with the life that's connected with me. So how do we do this? How do we get to this solitude and silent step? Um, Let me give you some practical steps. And these are things I've been working on myself for years and even more recently, I've been practicing them daily if I can. So the first thing that we can do is we take advantage of the little solitudes, is what Richard, calls, Richard Foster calls them, little solitudes. So these are the early morning moments before your family wakes up and you're just laying in your bed and it's quiet. You ain't got nothing to do right now. Haven't even brushed your teeth yet, okay? Remain in me. Abide. Try to spend some time in prayer. Try to spend some time in just worship in your, in your heart, in your mind, in that portable sanctuary. You have it, by the way, you have the portable sanctuary of the heart. You might not have like the keys to the door yet. It's there. Just kick the door down. It's right there. But we've got to start practicing. Little, little solitudes. He says the morning cup of coffee before the beginning of a work day. Or how about instead of, this is cool, I know a lot of you might pray before your meals with your families, or I know our family, we, we pray together every night before bed. Maybe one time, instead of somebody praying, what if someone's like, hey, let's just have some silence together. It might get awkward depending on the setting, but it might be powerful. If it's something that you're already in, in spiritual community with, it could be good. Parents, here's a trick. You ever played the, uh, the, the, the hush puppy game? The silence game. Uh, we call it one, three, three, one, two, three, hush puppy. So you say one, two, three, hush puppy. You got kids in the van and they're going crazy. It's a great game. Kids, if you're listening, young kids, it's a great game. You should play it. The goal is one, two, three, hush puppy. Everybody stops and you're quiet. And the goal is to see who can be quiet the longest. Some genius parent, by the way, invented that decades ago. And they were like top-notch parenting. Uh, but parents, in that brief silence, while the kids are like, you talk, like just whatever. Enjoy the little solitude. Take a minute. Gamify it for your kids so that you can have a minute. Step outside at night. There's that hush that happens at some point in pretty much every neighborhood, most neighborhoods hopefully. Where you can just step outside, look up at the sky, listen for a cricket. (laughs) These little solitudes. Like so many of the ideas we've shared during this series, uh, you know, it's the small steps that we take that help build to bigger practices. But if we can't take the small steps, we're never gonna get to the big steps. And so that's some small ideas. But if you wanna take it a step further, here's another idea. Create a space for your solitude. Um, What if you established a quiet space? First of all, I'm gonna go big. Like some of you are remodeling your house like all the time. Be like, hey, we're gonna take this big closet that we don't need because we simplified two weeks ago and gave a bunch of stuff away. So you got extra closet space, right? Maybe if you're like, have the means to just turn a corner of your house into a quiet room, do it. Hey, that's just our quiet space. I've heard of families having a special chair, like in a guest room or in the living room or on a back porch. It's like, hey, if I'm ever sitting in that chair, that means that I'm just wanting to be alone right now. Like, create a space. It can be in your house. It can be where you go and you shut your door for a few minutes. You get up early before the rest of the family. Create a space where you know it's like, like if I'm gonna be in a relationship with God, just like I'm in a relationship with my wife, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Maybe uh, some of y'all forgot, so just heads up, heads up. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Somebody expects you to remember, okay? But, um, you know, like, I'm not gonna be like, hey, baby you want to hang out sometime cool I'll just think about you while I'm driving to work no like I'd set up a time with my wife to go like let's have dinner let's sit down and watch a movie let's how cool would it be to do that with God in a place and after a hectic day you can say Lord I'm thinking about you right now I'm working on it some internal solitude but I can't wait to get home to that spot or maybe you don't have room in your house or on your yard pick a park 
A certain bench, a certain picnic table, a certain trail that you walk down, a tree that's fallen in the woods in the trail you can just sit on or go to the beach like I mentioned or go to the river. We've got some beautiful places around here. You need a place, you need a time and establish doing this regularly. Every week I give us a challenge. Here's this week's challenge, okay? You might already know what it is. You can reword this however you want to but this here how I'm gonna word it. At least once this week, pull away from your normal schedule and intentionally have a time of silence and solitude. This is about intentionality. Don't accidentally find yourself, oh, I'm in the car and it's, I got a few minutes. Those are great, but the challenge is that you'll schedule something. Okay, that's the challenge. So this week, take a minute, find some time. My lunch break on Tuesday, I've got extra time. I am literally gonna sit in silence and just deal with some stuff. And I'm gonna try to pray. What do I do during that time? Let me, let me give you uh, an advice that I've uh, been trying. I, I, I call it a, a prayer of thanksgiving. This is something I learned years and years ago because I have dealt with a lot of heavy anxiety. That's some of the stuff I spent time in therapy talking with a guy about. Like, and, and I found uh, that thanksgiving is a good place to start, okay? It's a, time, it's a way to worship God and pray to him without asking for a bunch of stuff like he's cosmic Santa Claus. We're just, we're praising him, but you can find a list because you can be like, okay, what are the things I'm thankful for? And so, uh, this is something I did yesterday. Yesterday, I had probably, uh, I made the announcement earlier about this building. I'm gonna tell you, it has consumed a lot of my week. A lot of my week. I didn't get to start working on this sermon until Friday, okay? And so normally, if you know me, I like to be done like Wednesday, okay? So I felt the pressure rising and the, and the, the tension, and I wanted to know like, that I'm done with this, but I, I've been practicing these practices of Jesus, and I know, God, I trust you. <laughs> I've, I've had my time of Sabbath recently. I've, I've been simplifying. I've been trying to slow. God, I trust you to take care of it, and so far, so good. We've made it through this sermon. But this week was full of a lot of stuff. And so yesterday I had, I had somewhere to be at like 8.30 in the morning, fairly early Saturday. I don't like 8.30s on Saturday. You should be in bed. But I had to be up. So I made a decision to get up early. So about 7.15, I got in the shower. By the way, shower, great spot for solitude. Ideally, you should get to do this on your own, okay? Unless you have a toddler who's like, mommy, what are you doing? It's like just five minutes, okay? Get him outside. Ideally, you can be in there by yourself. The water being on helps with the noise. It's very therapeutic hearing water, and you should shower like roughly once a day. So, you know, just put it on a timer. Like when I take a shower, I'm gonna have some time in solitude. So what I chose to do, though, was to get up and take the shower for solitude, and I began my Thanksgiving prayer. That's how I started. And I just said, Lord, thank you for, and I began listing my family, name them, and what I'm thankful for about them, and listing a lot of my church family, and listing even the things that were bringing me stress, the things about this building and other things like, Actually, I'm really thankful for that, God. You've provided that. And as we begin doing that, it begins to open up a dialogue with God of saying, listen, I trust you. You've already provided for me. And then as I got to the end of my list and realized, okay, I need to listen some, I prayed, Lord, help me hear you. Help me know you. Help me find peace in this busy week. That's, that was roughly what I prayed. And I just listened. And I didn't hear a knocking on my door with God saying, I'm here with a message. Um, but I found freedom. I felt the, the knot in my chest had diminished some. And I felt that, okay, God has brought me this far. He's gonna bring me farther. That's just one example. You know why I do that prayer? Because in Philippians chapter four, verse six, the apostle Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving present your request to God. I have found that a prayer of thanksgiving goes a long way 
about bringing peace to your soul. Silence and solitude is one of the newer practices I've been trying to implement in my life, and I've been doing it, I've been doing it for several, many, many months now, but uh, I forget, and I try to pump more things into my head, and the noise, 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 but I, I want to tell you, as, as a fellow traveler, <laughs> it makes a huge difference, and I want to encourage you to practice this practice of Jesus. I believe the promise that Jesus made in John 15, starting at verse 7, he said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, all the noise, 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 it's only gonna distract you for a season, but this practice of silence and solitude will enrich you for the rest of your life. Let's ruthlessly eliminate hurry, and let's practice silence and solitude. Let me pray for you this morning.